Good morning, SunWest. It's so good to be here. Um, there have been a few technical difficulties with the past couple of weeks for our family. Uh, we are headed up to uh, Desolation Sound. I don't know if you know where that is. It's north of Powell River. And uh, our transmission blew. And it blew in Kamloops. Long story short, uh, it got repaired over two weeks because there was a number of other hiccups that went on there. And my wife is now on her way back from Vernon uh, after a circuitous uh, kind of way home, just trying to make it home in one piece. We had a wonderful time of paddling in uh, the Pacific and doing some wonderful kayak work and camping in the outback of Canada. It's the beautiful west coast there. If you have a chance, please do go there. Uh, along with those technical difficulties is this conference monitor that has my notes. And so you'll notice I've got some redundancies. I've got my daughter's computer and uh, some notes, just in case anything fails. I'm a little nervous these days with transmissions and anything mechanical. So I myself have felt a little bit like an underdog when it comes to that kind of stuff. But underdogs tend to be the unqualified the unsure, the unseen. And underdogs are people or teams who are considered the least likely to win. In competition, another way to refer to them is maybe what? Losers. <laughs> I felt kind of like a loser this past week. You know, they're just not expected to win. Some of us folk may remember, if you're old enough, 50 plus, do you remember Eddie the Eagle? All right, a lot of, not, that's because the young people are sleeping in this morning. How about the Jamaican bobsled team? All right, both of these are from the 1988 Calgary Winter Olympics, probably the best Olympics that uh, Canada's ever hosted, right? Come on, how many of you were volunteers there? All right, well, these people, their chance of meddling was close to zero. What about Ryan Reynolds and Rob McKen uh, Mick L. Henney uh, purchasing the second-tier team uh, soccer club? What's the name of it? Everyone knows? Wrexham, it, and they turned the fortunes around, right? So, I mean, the oldest club in Wales, the third oldest football team in the world, and more recently, it was a low-ranking Welsh soccer club that earned a league promotion after a storybook win. And it's now competing in the English Football League. I think it's their second tier of that uh, for the first time in over a decade. How about that? Canada, on the other hand, is a little bit more known for its output on the ice, and maybe this is too soon for some of us Calgary Flames fans, but Florida Panthers versus Boston Bruins this past uh, Stanley Cup playoff run, uh, there was a historic upset, right? The Florida Panthers, or should I say Matthew Kachuk, himself single-handedly ousted the record-setting Boston Bruins to move ahead into the playoffs, and then wound up making it to the Stanley Cup Finals to play against the Las Vegas, <clears throat> whoever they are, I know, some of you are fans, but you know what? I, I kind of, I'm not a fan of the Knights. So anyways, they got the grail, right? They got the cup. Anyways, we love underdogs. We love the stories of how someone from behind can come and take the lead and, and actually win. Uh, we love stories of great reversals. But the reality is underdogs are generally people with less money. They're people with less power and less resources than those around. Classic biblical examples of underdogs are, we sang about one earlier this morning, David and Moses versus the Egyptians, or Pharaoh, right? Okay, so those are a 
couple of them. All these things lead up to the greatest underdog story in the Bible, the great reversal. Jesus, who was born in the stable, became king of the universe, right? And yet he was crucified. He was killed. And then coming back to life three days later after his crucifixion and death. Now talk about an amazing reversal. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. Throughout scripture, God uses foreshadowing or hints of what's to come. And he uses stories of how God works through others, many times through underdogs to do great things. One of those characters comes from the Old Testament, and her name is Rahab. We find Rahab's story in the book of Joshua, that's in the Old Testament, in chapters 2 and chapter 6. Now, the background of the story is this. This is part of Israel's ancient story of entering the promised land after being freed from slavery in Egypt. And this is the conquest of Canaan. So turn with me in your Bibles if you have them, or follow on the screen behind me in Joshua chapter 2. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. And so the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. And they left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up. Actually, she had taken them to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax that she had laid out. And so the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. You know, I know the Lord has... ...and is living... In terror, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, those two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No, no one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all of their families. And this is where it went. Here we go. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety. The men agreed, if you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then, since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days from the men searching for you. Then, when they have returned, you can go on your way. And before they left, the men told her, we will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all of your family members, your father, 
mother, brothers, all your relatives must be here inside the house that's in the wall. If they go out into the street and are killed, it will not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house, we will accept the responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. I accept your terms, she replied, and she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. The spies went up into the hill country and stayed there three days, and the men who were chasing them searched everywhere along the road, but they finally returned without success. Then the two spies came down from the hill country, crossed the Jordan River, and reported to Joshua all that had happened to them. And the Lord has given us the whole land, they said, for the people in the land are terrified of us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so let's recap briefly here. Before the Israelites cross the Jordan, Joshua sends men out to scout out the land, spy. And arriving in Jericho, they decide to spend the night at the house of the prostitute Rahab. It made, was made very clear in there. When Jericho's ruler tries to apprehend them, Rahab hides them and then helps them escape through the window, thus saving their lives. In return, she and her householders spare the destruction of Jericho and become part of the people of Israel. In saving the spies, Rahab acts as head of her household, saving her family. She also functions as a prophetic voice, anticipating Israel's occupation of the land. And when Jericho's ruler tries to apprehend the spies, Rahab hides them and then helps them escape through the window, thus saving them. So who was Rahab? We're zeroing in on her this morning. She is our first underdog in this summer series. Three things that made Rahab an underdog. Number one, first, this is ancient Canaan and the ancient tribe of Israel. This is around 1,400 years, 1,400 years before Jesus Christ. Rahab was a Canaanite. The Israelites were commanded by God to leave Egypt and take over Canaan. They were going to wipe it out. Rahab was part of the peoples who defied and disobeyed God, and God sent Israel to take them out. That's number one. Second, Rahab was not only a Canaanite, she was a woman living in Jericho. Women in that day were more likely household servants, if not bound by the role of wife and mother. And they were treated like objects and property. They certainly were not legally important, nor people of power and influence in those days. Third, if it wasn't obvious by her title, Rahab is a, she's a prostitute. She's a lady of the night. There's really no gentle way of saying this. Um, Rahab was someone who earned her living by selling her body. If that wasn't clear enough, Rahab's name in Hebrew has a double entendre. That means it has a double meaning. In Hebrew, Rahab means wide as a road or wide open space. So some ancient pretty dark humor was written into that name, into the story to underscore a point that God was trying to make through someone's real life here. Rahab obviously was not someone of good repute and probably had a history that led to this point. We don't know what her past was, and we, that's not the point. The point is she earned her living through her occupation, and she supported her family with that. 
In this time and place, 1,400 years before Jesus is born, Rahab is an underdog, unqualified, unseen, on the periphery, even lives on the periphery of the city. No one would expect her to be a servant of the most high living God, Yahweh. According to Joshua 2, before the conquest of Canaan, Joshua sends two men as spies to see the land. And they come to Rahab's house for lodging, information, and maybe even a good time. I mean, a place to hide. That's what I meant to say. The king, hearing about the two men, demands that Rahab give them up. But like the midwives in Egypt who rescue baby Moses, Rahab is faced with a moment of truth. Like the midwives, Rahab defies the rulers and rescues the Israelite spies. She tells the king's men that the two men have left and that the king's men should chase them down. According to Joshua 2, before the conquest of Canaan, Joshua sends two men as spies to see the land, and then she sends the troops going the other way. She hides them. And the king, hearing about the two men, demands that Rahab gives them up. Meanwhile, she's hidden these men under the flax drying on her roof. Did you catch that? There is a scene that pays homage there to Moses' mother who hides her newborn under the reeds back in Exodus chapter 2, verse 2. So pay attention here. For the chosen people, the Israelites, Rahab takes the shape of a midwife and a mother to newborn Israel in its beginnings in Canaan. Can you see the peril there? Those in ancient Israel would have known this story and said, we see something happening here. Jewish readers would understand this story in Joshua too. Rahab lets the two men out through her window, which is in the town wall, again, on the fringe of society. And she requests a return for her act of loyalty. She asks that she and her family be spared once the Israelites attack Jericho. So the spies give her a crimson robe to, a rope to hang from her window with the reminder that she is to gather her family and wait inside for all the mayhem to happen and stay indoors as long as they can and they will be spared. And so when the Israelites destroy Jericho and the great defensive walls come tumbling down, she is described in, which is described in Joshua 6, Rahab and her whole extended family are, are saved. They are, uh, they are not wiped out like the rest of that whole city which is another homage to the Israelites who stayed in houses marked with the blood of the sacrificial lamb. So she left this scarlet rope hanging, and it was much like the blood that was put on the doors of the people of Israel when they were getting ready to leave Egypt. Do you remember that story? And they were spared as well, the fate of the Egyptians during the Exodus. I'm not sure if you remember, but all the firstborn died in Egypt when that happened, when the angel of death then went around. But everyone who is inside, protected by that blood on the doorposts, were spared. This is a scene with the scarlet rope that pays homage to that. Rahab's family are exempted from Israel's uh, obligation to destroy all living uh, Canaanites at that time. Her family's spared. And so think about that for a minute. Uh, God said, wipe out the town, wipe out all those other God worshipers, um, and yet he spares Canaanites who weren't supposed to be. They were God worshipers of Ashra. And uh, 
he folds them into the nation of Israel. And so Rahab and her Canaanite family become refugees who are accepted by Israel and they become part of that new Israel. How interesting is that? They're welcomed into the family of God. Rahab, who was once someone on the fringe, someone with no name, really, one that was a a pretty bad name, and then uh, with a profession to boot, which was of ill repute, now becomes the midwife and mother of Israel who saves Israel in its time of need. And then she's welcomed into the family of Israel. God gives Rahab a special function in the biblical narratives, in this story in particular, of Israel's existence in the land. And when uncovering the spies who she hid, she explains that she knows what God will give Israel. She knows that God will give Israel the entire land. She has heard about the events of the Red Sea, and she heard about how they destroyed the other kings, the Amorite kings, Og and Sihon, and uh, dread has now fallen on all of the land. In other words, she's become a prophet, an oracle. She brings back news uh, through the spies who go and report to Joshua. So once again, from a nobody to a somebody, suddenly she's no longer a prostitute. Remember, Rahab is an underdog in three ways. She is a Canaanite, she is a woman, she is a prostitute, and she moves from the social fringes, living, if living on the fringe of the city wasn't a, a big clue enough, to the center of history of that time. It, the, the fortunes of Israel actually hinge on Rahab's actions here. And so she is now an oracle, a prophet, a word of God through um, this unbeknownst person to Joshua saying, hey, take the land, it's ready, it's yours. So Rahab, interestingly enough, is remembered in Jewish tradition as one of the greatest converts into the faith, whose actions change Israel's history. And she's remembered as an ancestress of kings and prophets. And in the New Testament, she actually is listed in Matthew 1.5 as a forebear, an ancestress of Jesus. She's included in the genealogy, if you can imagine. Rahab moves from someone who's unseen to someone who is right in the center of everything. So the question I have for you, friends, is do you feel unseen? Do you feel unimportant? Do you feel like you're on the fringe? If you're like Rahab, God sees you. We have hope. He saw Rahab and he sees you as well. Rahab's story of faith is only half of the surprise in the book of Joshua. In the the other half is revealed in chapter 7, which tells the story of the Israelite Achan. I'm not sure if you've read that story but Achan was one of the chosen ones from the tribe of Judah, and he actually betrays all of the nation, and he betrays God. We might have been tempted to believe that God's election of Israel sets up a permanent uh, and impermeable border between God's chosen people and then the heathen, those who are unbelievers. But the reality is Achan, who is from the tribe of Judah, he's a chosen person, he's a Jew. Achan's story is told immediately following Rahab's, who's an outsider, who is a prostitute, who's a woman, a Canaanite, And it illustrates that God does not have favorites. It's not about your blood type. 
It's not about what ethnic tribe you come from. Israel was not chosen because they were special. It's for the very opposite. Israel was chosen to show that God could use anybody. In the New Testament, he says, I can raise these stones to worship me. God has chosen Israel because he wants to pronounce that anybody can be a blessing for all of creation. And he's chosen this small, unknown people called Israel to be a blessing to the world. Parallel to the surprise of Rahab's faith is the sad tale of Achan's betrayal. So he takes the spoils of war after in uh, uh, Joshua chapter 6, the walls come falling down, and basically uh, he hides some of the silver, some, some of the things that he saw that were really nice trinkets, and he buries them under his tent. And suddenly uh, Israel is attacked, and they lose the war. So suddenly hap- after being told by Rahab, uh, Joshua said, hey, we have this whole place, let's take it. They were losing wars now. So it was like Boston, right? Boston, game seven, and they get scored on, and they go downhill. And they're like, oh, no, we, we're no longer going for the Stanley Cup. The thing is, Aiken then is discovered, and they whittle down who it was by tribe, and then by family, and then by person. Who did it? And he's like, uh, it was me. And they say, okay, well... They dig it up, and they find all the treasure, and they said, yeah, you totally disobeyed. God said, all this treasure needs to go to God. You kept some for yourself, so you will die along with your entire family. Read it in uh, Joshua chapter 7. So this is the story right beside and right after Rahab. Rahab is illustrating how faithful she is. Achan is not. Rahab is an outsider. Achan is an insider. Guess what? God wants faithfulness. It's not about how inside or outside you are. He wants faithfulness and obedience. So Rahab is an illustration that faith will sometimes radiate from those places that are the least expected. So there's always hope, even in the darkest places. Rahab's faith will save her and her entire family, who then become part of the genealogy of Jesus. Jericho is slated for destruction, and we can read about that in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, In fact, the fate of the cities that the Israelites will conquer in the land is all listed there. As for the towns of these peoples that the Lord your God is giving you as inheritance, you must not let anything that breathes remain alive. And that's found in Deuteronomy. Therefore, the great surprise in Jericho is not that Joshua orders the, the slaying of everybody. Okay, that is kind of eyebrow-raising for us today. But that, the actual great surprise is that Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed. No, it was actually that Rahab and her family of outsiders. Rahab, the woman, Rahab, the prostitute, her family was spared. That is the real surprise of this. Because all the people of Israel are saying, oh, we're the chosen ones. Our blood is thicker than water. Uh, We are special. And God is saying, actually, you are special because I want you to do something for me. But so is this other person who doesn't have your blood, doesn't have your bloodlines, doesn't belong to any of your tribes. She's now going to become one of you. And guess what? She's special. Why? Because she protected our spies. Dare we hope that all the townspeople gathered in her home and were saved with her because of her faith? 
Dare we hope that nobody died on the day the walls of Jericho fell because they all found refuge in the wideness of Rahab's house. Rahab chooses, instead of being known for the wideness of something else, she has a wide heart for God. Rahab chooses to have faith in God. How did Rahab show faith? Let's imagine it together for a minute. For years, the people of Jericho had existed behind their thick walls. No of their, none of their neighboring uh, countries had been able to penetrate those defenses, and so they felt safe until they heard about the Israelites. For 40 years, the children of Israel had wandered in the wilderness without a home. There were whispers that they had been promised the land of Canaan, but those were only rumors. Still, the people of Jericho may have felt as if they could hide behind their great defenses. It would have been like uh, the satellite defenses that we have for the United States and Canada. NORAD, we have these wonderful defenses, missiles and airplanes that can detect missiles coming in or any kind of invasion force. It'd be like that. We feel almost completely protected. Nothing can harm us. That's how Jericho's citizens felt. Then they heard about the kings of Sihon uh, and Og, who were obliterated in battle. And they were known as Amorites, vicious uh, warriors, and they were completely slaughtered by the Israelites, or by God and the Israelites. So these miraculous stories would come in through their newspapers and Twitter feeds about the way that the Hebrew God had dried up the Red Sea. And years earlier, God had delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. And so this is um, a world power now, they dial back and they go, boy, we heard about these people who got out with their lives and destroyed a huge part of Pharaoh's army. Suddenly, Egypt is no longer a world power. So it must have been interesting to be alive at that time because though there would have been fear, a lot of people would have been stubbornly stuck in their old ways, but not Rahab. In the book of Hebrews, we find a great Hall of Faith, and there she is mentioned along with the conquest of the promised land, along with all these other heroes of the faith. It took a lot of faith for Rahab to acknowledge that the Hebrew God was greater than any of the other gods of Jericho. So when your city has fortified walls, it's easy to believe that your city is impenetrable. But Rahab believed in the power of the Most High God. She was reading these stories and she was hearing the stories, and she said, you know what, something, there's something to this God of the Israelites. But she believed. That was the difference. She heard, but she also believed. And she believed that he was powerful enough to deliver her from the falling of the walls of Jericho. And the Bible calls her Rahab the prostitute because that was her defining trait. That was what she was known as. But the Bible also uses the word prostitute to describe anyone who worships idols. Those who prostitute themselves before gods. The ancient city of Jericho was an important center of idol worship. And many people worshipped Ashtaroth there. And it almost looked like a totem pole. They had tools that, poles that kind of were meant to look like phallic objects to signify uh, fertility. And they would prostitute themselves before these gods, doing whatever the gods told them to do so they would have fertility in the land, good crops, lots of babies. And a lot of that worship involved sexual acts. 
The ancient city of Jericho was an important city. It was a center for all this idol worship. And so God had said, okay, you guys, I gave you many chances to worship me. You've chosen other things and you want to worship sex. Uh, We're going to change things around here. So Jericho prostituted themselves. They all prostituted themselves before Ashtaroth. Friends, we may not be prostitutes like Rahab. But the challenge in this story is a question that is leveled at all of us. It's glaring. What is it that we worship in our day-to-day lives? What do we bow down to? What do we put all of our passions into, all of our goals and energies into? What is this thing in our lives that drives us and we devote our life to pursuing? Think Think about that. What is it that drives you? If it isn't God, it's an idol. We prostitute ourselves before whatever it is that we make into an idol in our life. It might be our job, and those are important. It might be a relationship. It might be an identity. It might be our reputation. It might be a certain resource. Now, I imagine that being a sex worker in Jericho was a life that came with its own stigma. But we see Rahab taking a bold step towards someone who she had faith and trust in. The God who said, I have a new identity for you. We can do the same, friends. If we follow God, if we put him in the center, everything else will work out. He will give us a new name, a new identity, a new purpose, a new reason to live. And so we see Rahab taking a bold step towards who God has called her to be. And that's by leaving her past behind her. When the city of Jericho was destroyed, so was every person who lived in that city. Rahab and her whole family were the only ones saved because of the agreement that they had made with the spies through faith. And then included, they were included among the chosen people, the Israelites. So not only is Rahab mentioned in the book of Hebrews under the great heroes and heroines of the faith, but the gospel of Matthew, I said again, uh, chapter one, verse five, names Rahab as a great, great grandparent to Jesus Christ and his family tree. I encourage you to look it up. I can't tell you how many greats there are between her and, uh, and Jesus, but goes right through uh, the line until it hits Joseph. Even more interesting is that the book of James, written by Jesus' brother, gives Rahab an even greater profile. In his book, James is trying to show that faith without works is dead, and he proves the point by telling the story of Abraham. Then as if to show that there is more to it, more to that argument, James writes in James chapter 2, verse 25. Rahab, the prostitute, is another example She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. And then James concludes in verse 26, just as the body is dead without breath, so faith is also dead without good works. So Rahab the prostitute teaches us about faith, turning towards God and trusting him. And she also teaches us that faith without works is dead. 
So going from an underdog to someone who's been chosen, going from someone who's been seen and welcomed into God's family. Friends, Rahab is here to humble us and to expose our pride for what it really is. It's to teach us that we are all saved, friends, only by the grace of God. Amen? Do you think you're, or feel that you're unqualified? Do you feel or think that you're unseen or unsure? Do you feel like you don't belong? Some of us have just found ourselves in Canada or maybe we're learning English as a second language. Do you have a past that haunts you and feels like it defines your identity? Friends, may Rahab remind us that God takes her present identity and, and circumstances and gives, God gives her a future and a new identity, one filled with hope, meaning, and purpose. God sees Rahab's faith in him and honors that. Rahab doesn't just academically acknowledge that God is real and powerful. She actually acts on her faith. How are some of those things? Just remember and reflect. Rahab helped the spies. Rahab turns literally and leaves her crumbling life behind her. Rahab places her faith in God and that he would save her and her whole family. And Rahab became part of the family of God. Why? Because she put down that scarlet cord despite her ethnicity, despite her past beliefs and her religion, despite her past trauma, despite her misadventures, despite her occupation, and despite her reputation, Rahab places her faith in the living God. So remember, God uses a foreigner, someone who should have been destroyed during the conquest, someone who is not part of the chosen people, not Jewish in blood or faith, And furthermore, someone who would have been considered dirty and sinful to become part of God's family. All because she had faith. Now that should give us hope. This is good news. Amen? Amen. Once again, God makes his point with a bold and italicized and underlined by making Rahab the prostitute one of the great grandmothers of Jesus. Doesn't that just blow you away? I I think it's incredible that a nobody can become a somebody. An underdog can become a child of the king. So let's bring this home. So now, how shall we live in light of Rahab in her faith in God and how God used her to do great things? We, friends, are not trapped by our past. Our past deeds, our past identity, our past reputation. We are able to make Choices in the present, the eternal now. Like Rahab, our world could literally be crumbling around us, and yet Rahab chose to have faith in God. Friends, when the Israelite soldiers saw the scarlet rope that she then uh, put out her window, they left her house untouched. Rahab and her family would be saved by the scarlet rope. Does that remind us of anything, that scarlet rope? Does it remind us of the blood on the doorposts for the children of Israel as they're fleeing Egypt so the angel of death would pass over them? Does that scarlet rope remind us of the person who was hung out to dry on the cross on Calvary's hill as his side was punctured and blood and water flowed? 
That scarlet rope waving from Rahab's window shouldn't be so strange for those of us who consider ourselves Christ's followers. Through scriptures, through thousands of years later, we learn about sin and grace through Rahab. We learn about faith without works is dead. It requires action. We learn about walls being torn down. We learn about the waving of a scarlet rope that heralds hope. It's supposed to remind us of the cross, Jesus who died for us, shed his blood for us, paid for our sins. Rahab is saying to us, friends, come home. I found a home. If I can find a home, you can find a home. If a prostitute can be given a new life, new hope, and a new family, and of all strangest things, become the forebear of our Lord and Savior, Christ, then you have hope as well. Rahab in the Bible could have marked the location of her home in so many ways, and yet she chose to follow what the soldiers said to do and use that scarlet rope. The world tells us that there are many ways to God and salvation, but the Bible tells us this. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Rahab was obedient to the letter of what the spies had said. She placed her faith in them. In fact, she placed her faith in God through them and obeyed them to the word. Friends, there is no other name which we can be saved. It's only through Christ who we sang about today. Our past is in the past. Jesus welcomes you into his family. God can use anyone who considers themselves underdogs for his glory. And that is the good news. You and I have hope. Friends, in light of the complex story of Rahab, let us be less quick to judge those who seem to be outsiders, those who don't belong, those who are on the fringe might be their ethnicity, what they look like or smell like. might be who they worship. But light can shine from the most unexpected places, and if we let it, it will penetrate our darkness as well. Rahab's faith in God enabled her to turn away from her culture, her religion, her people, her false gods, and then towards the living God, the Lord of all things. Commitment to truth, faith in God may require us to set priorities that are contrary to those of the world around us. Friends, if we give our hearts to Christ, we shed our old selves. We become new creations in him. Our slates are wiped clean as we believe in the sacrifice that Jesus had for us. He died for us and he rose to life again so we can have life in him. Friends, we can go to church, we can go to groups, we can go to all the fun things, the ladies' tea. But if we are not known to those around us by our faith or our bravery for God's kingdom, it may be time to examine our hearts and see what God might be asking us to do and who to be. You sometimes wonder how God can use you. I know that I ask myself that question. How can God use me? I'm a broken vessel, and yet he chooses to pour his spirit into me so that I might be able to pour out into others. How and where may not always be apparent, but I'm listening to his voice. The nudge from the spirit saying, hey, reach out, 
connect help. I'm constantly shedding my old ways. I'm constantly saying, Lord, transform me, renew me. I believe in you. What about you, friends? Do you have faith like Rahab? As we close in song, let the words ring true in our lives. And may this be our prayer. And let's close our eyes as we pray. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am a child of God. I'm free at last. He has ransomed me. His grace runs deep. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen. Thank you.